Hello, listeners. My name is Craig Zerpolo, and welcome back to Why Science, a podcast about behavioral and emotional health research at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. This series is produced by Kobe, the College Behavioral and Emotional Health Institute, with the assistance of WVCW Student Radio and the Alt Lab at VCU. For more information, visit kobe.vcu.edu, wvcw.org, and altlab.vcu.edu. This show is supported in part by the National Institute for Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Music for Why Science is provided by Butcher Brown. Check out their new EP, Virginia Noir, available for streaming and purchase at butcherbrown.bandcamp.com. Our guest today is Dr. Chris Reyna, an assistant professor and researcher from the management department in the VCU School of Business. Dr. Reyna's research focuses on the intersection of leadership, mindfulness, and emotions in the workplace, and how they aid employees and organizations in adapting to change and promoting well-being. Hi, my name is Chris Reyna. I'm an assistant professor in the School of Business in the Department of Management. I teach classes in leadership, uh, specifically through the lens of mindful leadership and what that looks like for leaders to be more mindful in their daily practice. In terms of your research and your experience as a professional, what does mindfulness mean and what kind of practices would be encompassed under that definition? So mindfulness at the very basic level is present moment awareness without judgment. So it's a process that can unfold throughout the day. And so it's not that you're either born necessarily with mindfulness or not, but rather it's a, a skill that you can develop over time. Um, and, and what mindful mi- mindfulness might look like for you in the morning uh, could be taking some moments to just allow your mind to be at ease before taking an exam or before getting out of the car to walk to class in the morning, but it's really this idea that our mind is always busy and our mind is always busy with this voice telling us what to do or, or ruminating on how we wish things would have gone in the past or what we hope will happen in the future. We're inherently living in a time that's not in the current moment. So mindfulness at its very basic level is just aligning your mind and your body together. The body can only exist in the present moment. So mindfulness takes that time out to put the mind and the body together in one spot. Let me give a quick example. Not many people would say that they're rude and aggressive if you ask them to talk about who they are. Yet we've all been on the freeway and someone's cut us off and we've gotten angry and we've gotten upset and we've ruminated over that and we've even talked to our passenger about how angry we are or used a a choice set of words. Uh, But reflecting back on that behavior, not many of us would say that's who we are. That behavior was something we exhibited, but it doesn't get to our core values of who we are or what we want our kids to see and hear from us or our parents to see or hear from us. Uh, So the idea being that those folks who are more mindful on a daily basis would have fewer lapses of behaviors that don't also meet uh, the values that they talk about. Is there any difference in the value of formal mindfulness practices like yoga and meditation and breathing exercises versus less formal practices? Yeah, so there's multiple ways to be mindful. I think yoga and breathing exercises are important ways to cultivate mindfulness. 
often stressed to, to folks though, that mindfulness inherently doesn't have to be an extra activity that you do. Uh, so the example of walking from class to class, which is an activity you have to do already, just creating that experience to be more mindful. So while you walk, you can clear your mind instead of think about the presentation you're about to give or what could go wrong or planning out the dinner that you're going to cook tonight. What would it look like to simply walk from class to class while taking in the larger surroundings of the air quality and of the sun on your shoulders or of the people walking by and just take in that picture for what it is because that's inherently important in its own right yet we walk by it every day and what I stress to students often is does prepping in your head and ruminating over what is going to happen next does that actually give you any advantage for that presentation does rehearsing your lines get you in a better spot and they typically answer no and I would suggest that it doesn't either but it would put you in a situation where you might more likely to walk off a curb or to walk into a car because simply you're not in the present moment. Life is happening around you, but you're not an active player in it. You're inside your own mind. Um, and so that's really where I think mindfulness is really powerful. And if you want to take and, and kind of deepen your practice by creating structures and practices such as deep breathing and meditation exercises in the morning, as well as a yoga practice, that further hones that. Uh, but I often tell students to start by doing activities they already do more mindfully. When you're teaching an undergraduate course about leadership, what are the most important things that you want your students to take away from your lectures and your research? I think a lot of leaders assume that they get to a leadership position by trampling or kind of stepping up on top of other folks below them so they outcompete them. So it's really leftover remnants from the Darwinian model of, you know, outcompete others, and that's how you become successful. I think one thing that I'd like students to really take from my course is that people want you to be successful. They push you up. So the people you want to be successful, sorry, the people that, the people you lead, who you empower and get them excited uh, they buy into you and your leadership brand. And those are the people who actually push you up to the next level. And it's really not about out-competing your peers uh, to get to the next level or trampling on the people below you to get to a higher leadership position. Number two, I would say, is the understanding that everything that we say and do is filtered through our own lens. Uh, that's inherently normal that humans do that, but if we just stop and think a little bit more about that, we need to actively oppose that in cases and think and step back to unlock true connections between people. So if we see an incident or a, an experience with another individual, we see it through our own eyes, but further reflection should allow us to step back, really think about the process and how it unfolded from their perspective and then think about how their ultimate goals and our ultimate goals may be completely misaligned and how that contributed to an interaction that may have unfolded in a different way than we had, had hoped. So I think if, if business folks could really think about that, and anyone for that matter that has interpersonal relationships, uh, the power of viewing a situation through another's eyes and actively thinking about what it must be like or even thinking of reasons that another person might have behaved in a way uh, 
uh, and not assuming that because you would have done it a certain way, they also would do it the same way is, is really good advice. Everything they say and do and everything they don't say and don't do matters and people pick it up. So leaders are always really on a stage uh, and understanding that is really helpful in a career and understanding why people are attracted to you, why they're willing to work hard for you, uh, because all that you say and do is seen by them and they ultimately pick up cues about what you truly value. Despite what you say, it really comes down to what you do as far as them buying into your personal leadership brand. A lot of the work you're describing, even from the start of your research career, revolves around leadership. Was there a particular person or a group of people who showed a really good or bad model of leadership skills and encouraged you to want to learn more about what makes an effective leader? I think I could probably think of a few folks, but I guess another way to answer the question that, that is meaningful to me would be just having seen in high school uh, what good leadership looked and felt like. Uh, so they're just various people who can get you to do far beyond what you thought you could with a smile on your face. And I was always intrigued by the folks who could, just by the way they talked to you or the way they asked you a question, could create a sense of me wanting to do better. And there's certainly the opposite as well. Uh, those faculty members and professors who ask questions in ways or ask specific questions themselves that didn't get me excited or motivated um, and so I saw early on that leadership was a key role in having that unfold. What was your first experience as a researcher? So when I was an undergraduate student, I had the opportunity to be involved in research to the Kravis Leadership Institute at my college, Claremont McKenna. Uh, so I had gotten early exposure to what research was all about. And to me, it was very interesting to ask and answer questions that perhaps we thought we knew the answer to, but needed a little bit more data and we needed to understand exactly how a process unfolded. So the rigorous approach to collecting data at multiple points in time was very intriguing to me as far as answering the why. What specific questions are you currently investigating in terms of leadership? Quite a few uh, questions I'm working on right now. I, I guess one of the larger ways to frame the, the research question is, is how does mindfulness of leaders impact the way followers view their work and how does the way followers view their work ultimately impact their levels of engagement, their levels of satisfaction with their jobs, and finally their well-being. Uh, and then a related question is when followers have higher well-being, how does that impact their families, their loved ones, their patients, if perhaps they're in the healthcare field? Uh, so I guess if I could summarize my research, it's the cascading effects of mindfulness throughout multiple levels in an organization, from leader to follower to people at home that the follower sees often or people that the follower works with, uh, perhaps their colleagues or even the customers that the followers interact with daily. I imagine you find that mindfulness at a leadership level trickles down into positive impacts on numerous levels for employees and customers and patients alike. Has that been the case with your research so far? So far, yes, although there hasn't been as much research kind of linking the multiple levels. It's, it's difficult to collect data at multiple levels in an organization and to rigorously test those questions. But yes, uh, and previous research on emotional contagion uh, shows us that the emotions that leaders have are certainly shared by followers and then the followers take those emotions and feelings home with them when they leave work. 
Have the things about research that initially excited you evolved over time? Or do you feel like you relate to research in a similar way to when you first approached it? That's a good question. I think answering or asking and answering interesting questions about human behavior and why humans do what we do, I think has been the the question that's really driven me. Uh, Understanding and thinking through how do we create quality connections between people really has been uh, the focus in the last four to five years. So I don't think I understood uh, as an undergrad before having worked in the corporate world how important it was or how uh, lacking authentic connections at work really are and and seeing that firsthand in, in multiple jobs and seeing the disconnect between uh, what leaders wanted followers to do and ultimately how the followers felt regarding how the leader treated them, there was a big gap there. Uh, so as I re-engaged with research, understanding and unlocking how leaders can be more effective and helping followers became really my focus question. Thanks to Dr. Chris Reyna for joining us, and thank you for listening. Tune in for a new episode of Why Science every other Thursday at kobe.vcu.edu slash podcast. Thank you.